Are you ready? It's that time! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, who made it all the way through our theme song to the actual content of this of this podcast. This is season three, episode who knows and who cares. Uh, just kidding. It is episode seven, and uh, we're continuing. We're getting back into Corinthians. We we've been off and on for a few weeks, uh, both because of Ben and my life situations, and also just because of some of the things going on in our church body that we felt were worth talking about. So. Um, as is our motto, if we had one, which we don't, you can't tell us what to do. So if we want to do something else, we're going to, but, uh, in any case today, we are getting back into Corinthians and we're going to be talking about first Corinthians seven. And it says now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband may, is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Um, so Ben's going to kind of lead us into the topic. But I do want to point out, continuing the conversation we had before we were recording, uh, Paul wasn't married, and he spoke pretty authoritatively on this stuff. So... I feel like that gives us license to say something at least, right? <laughs> That's fair. And I, I think there's a few different topics we can really get at today. Um, and just spend a few minutes kind of mulling over. Uh, first one being the dynamics of the marriage relationship. Uh, what does it look like to be in a marriage relationship? Um, second one being singleness. Uh, what is the the lifestyle of singleness for what is it like why does paul seem to speak so highly to uh to it and of it and uh and then finally 
um, around separation um, and some of the difficulties that that marriage relationships can have uh, aside from separation. Things like, you know, what if you're married to uh, a non-Christian uh, spouse? Um, I think that gives us plenty to go on today. Uh, and, and certainly some interesting topics of conversation, uh, because I think Paul does some things here that fly in the face of culturally some of our assumptions around marriage, right? Yeah, I think that might be an understatement. Probably not the biggest understatement we've ever made on this on this show, but it's an understatement. I mean, there are only so many words in the in my vocabulary that I'm allowed to use on this particular show, so um, refraining from some of them. Anyway, uh, let's start today with some of the dynamics in the marriage relationship because um, Paul spends a fair amount of time here talking about sex. Uh, what it's good for, why it's important, um, all those kinds of things. Uh, and I think, I don't know about you, Josh, but my head kind of goes to, um, the early, early Genesis definition of marriage, right? And, and the two shall become one flesh when you have sex that is a uniting of two people in a way that God intended for the marriage relationship. And I mean, we've, we've attached ceremonies and promises to that, to, uh, I think in part to help us celebrate and think about the marriage relationship a little bit more. Um, but ultimately the, the culminating of it is two people have agreed with one another and before God that they are going to, unite themselves <laughs> for better or for worse uh and uh just the the like before the church existed before jewish ritual was thoroughly set in place two people got together had sex they were married that was it that was the end of the story um, I think it'd be interesting if, if the world looked at sex and marriage in that way still. Yeah. If, if the world actually took sex, cause that's not, that's not where we're at, especially no sexual revolution. Oh yeah. Right. But if you thought of every, every sexual encounter you ever had as a marriage, huh. as an unbreakable contract yeah people might take it more seriously or even just as a marriage because like if you think about it that way uh every every one night stand that somebody has uh during their dumb youth i'm using massive air quotes for those of you that aren't watching the video um because it's still not worth it but um like you're a seven eight 12 fill in the blank number divorce divorce say before you 
uh, even hit a relationship you're actually trying to make last. Um, and I think that kind of thought process even might start to get people to, to question some of those decisions a little bit more. Yeah, and there, there's, there's just so much bad. There's so much bad out there because there there are people who are quite proudly and quite publicly championing it doesn't matter how many people you sleep with mm -hmm. um you know the whole body count doesn't matter and <laughs> if you push back on that and say well body count really does matter mm -hmm. and how many people you sleep with really does matter the response a lot of times i find is well, no one cares if a guy sleeps around a lot, but if a girl sleeps around a lot, it's like, okay, well, if that's true, which I, I don't, I'm not convinced that it is. I like, if a guy comes up to me, he's like, oh, I've, I've, you know, slept with 20 women. I'm like, you're a man ho. Like that is, that's <laughs> not impressive to me. That's, you're disgusting. Um, Jesus loves you. I still love you. Uh, I'm, but stop it. Um, <laughs> I, I realized as I was going through that, I'm like, that was pretty aggressive. Uh, <laughs> but, but what I would say is then raise the standard. Mm -hmm. Make it matter for both. Mm -hmm. Like, let's not say, oh, the standard's higher for one than the other, so let's drop the standards for both. No, mm -hmm. let's raise the standards for both. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I can see where you're, you're going to Genesis, but one of the first places I think is um, it's actually where Paul talks about marriage in kind of giving us what is the ideal for marriage? Like, what is the standard we can look to and say, like, this is what marriage is supposed to be like. And it's the relationship between Jesus Christ and, and the church. So here, here in, in this first Corinthians seven, still, it says um, the wife doesn't have authority over her own body. The husband does. Likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body. The wife does. When, when you're in a marriage relationship, it is in, it is a, it's an act of self-sacrifice. It is saying, and you know, in the context of today, you stand up in, in in front of a church, in front of your friends and family before God, and what you are saying is that you are going to put this other person first, not just once, not just today, not just tomorrow. But that person is always going to come before you. And um, if you look at this example of Christ in the church, like this is what it looks like. Christ gave up everything for us. He went to the cross. He died. Like he was God in heaven. And he's like, you know what? I'll give up this and I'll go slum it up on earth for 30 plus years. And then I'm going to die a terrible death for these people. So when we say the, the wife has authority over the husband's body, like, yeah, because as a husband, you're called to have that kind of relationship where you are willing to give up everything. Your status, your, your power, your authority, or whatever is valuable to you for your wife. And, and then what is the church called? To respond well the church is then called we are called to respond by living according to christ's word by submitting to his authority um complete trust and faith and hope and love and so that's that's the 
example that wives are given, right? And it says right there, the wife has no authority over her own body. The husband does. Because just as he is called to be serving and self-sacrificial to her, she is called to respond in kind. So people get uncomfortable when you say that, but like, guys, this is awesome. This kind of relationship where you're, you never have to put yourself first because that other person is taking care of you. And they never have to put themselves first because you're taking care of it. Like, that's a that's an incredible thing. And I think that is something we have lost. Because we're, we have such this, this desire for independence. That's like, independence isn't a bad thing. And it is good, right? Like, there you can take this too far where, like, you and your wife never go anywhere without each other. And it's kind of unhealthy and almost upset. Like, that might be problematic. But this idea of like, I don't need my spouse. No. Like we're, we're kind of, we're as connected as it gets. Uh, and I, that's what Paul's getting at here. It's you live for each other. And I, I'm torn between saying, like, that's a really hard thing to do, and that's one of the easiest things in the world to do. Um, I think, the, I mean, the reality is, is that it's both. Um, and a couple of places my brain went as you were kind of drawing some of those parallels. Um, I don't know if I necessarily like the word independence in terms of that. like our, our cultural understanding of the marriage relationship. I think it's more of, and I'm not original in saying this, but I, I really do think it's more transactional. Like, what have you done for me? Um, like, if you're not gonna let me go have a boys weekend, you know, if I'm having this hypothetical conversation with my wife, if you're not gonna let me go have a boys weekend, you know, what good are you, right? That That's the, there's still a desire to be able to go our separate ways, but it's, you better let me do this rather than I don't want to be around you because then that person still comes back and wants sex, wants help taking care of the house or the kids or um, whatever the case may be. And it's supposed to be, just i mean not not quite like tit for tat but is this relationship worth it by what you're giving me i feel like that's that's so much the way we look at it um and therein lies both the difficulty and the ease of the relationship though too because if we're looking at if both people going in are looking at the marriage relationship in the way that Paul is describing it and saying, your life should be totally laid out for the other person, then, I mean, from a transaction standpoint, you're looking at that and, at that and going, 
we're going to love and care for each other and we're going to make this work. But at the same time, you're also like starting to set expectations. And those that bar can be incredibly high. And so regardless of even if we have some of those, you know, Christ-like and Christian attitudes towards marriage, we can still end up falling into some of the same transactional traps that a lot of people fall into in, in the marriage relationship. Oh, yeah. Well, and and I've heard and seen people who are kind of arguing for a more traditional uh, relational attitude, mm -hmm. shall we say, and they use transactional arguments for it. Mm -hmm. They say, well, you know, what's what's your value or what's your like, are you a high value individual um, that like does your value match your standards and that kind of thing and and it's more of that same transactional stuff mm -hmm. um and i i think it's getting a little bit off point for us to say like here's what when you're deciding on someone that you're going to be in this relationship with mm -hmm. how do you go about deciding that i think that's kind of besides the point mm -hmm. for today that's not i mean i think we can summarize that by saying look for somebody with high character and Christian, like, and then like the rest will kind of figure itself out. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, and, and here's what I want to say with that regard. And this is, this might come back in when we get to our, the third topic that this text brings up. Mm -hmm. um, I have come to the conclusion and yes, I've only been married for four years, but I've observed a lot of relationships. Love and like sticking in a relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Staying together with someone is a choice. Mm -hmm. um, I think we, we, somewhere along the line, we got caught up in this idea of love is a feeling and I have to feel this feeling of love mm -hmm. toward this person. And if I don't feel it, then it's, no, it is a choice. You get up every day, you, you look at the person that you are married to and you say, I love this person mm -hmm. and I'm going to sacrifice myself for this person, whatever that looks like today, right? And, and I've, you know, all of these relationships that have lasted decades, I am sure there are points in that relationship where they didn't feel warm and fuzzy. Mm -hmm. But they they said, I am ch choosing to love this person. Mm -hmm. And it was it was a choice and a, and a conscious decision as much as it is a feeling. I'm not saying the feeling is bad. Right. And, and th there's something to be said for the feeling. But the reality is, and again, this is probably going to come up later. Divorce is never inevitable. If you have decided that you are going to work it out that you are going to do what it takes to figure out your relationship do, and say divorce is never an option. Well, I'll tell you what, you're going to be married until one of you dies. Right. And it's, it's really, I, I do believe it's as simple as that. If you, if you both decide divorce is not an option, we are going to be together. Then you will be. Like if someone ever comes to me and they're, they're afraid that like, <laughs> it's just like one day they're going to wake up and, oh, we're divorced now. 
Mm-hmm. Out of the ha- it, no, there's a choice. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, right, that becomes really difficult because there are situations like, and maybe we should just skip to our third point, situations where you're like, this is a very difficult choice to hold to. But I think let's let's make sure we hit this this second one because yeah i think it's one that gets overlooked in the church more than anything else and that is that is like what does it look like what does it mean to be single um this is something that we all have at times in our life i'm assuming that most of you weren't married from the womb um if you were i have other questions (laughs) yeah god help you um but uh Paul is pretty pretty bold in saying you know I wish there were more people who weren't married who were single why why do you all see the need to get married even um well and the way paul's talking here it's almost like marriage is just it's a a way to keep yourself in check (laughs) yeah that's fair um i i did i had an anonymous friend at one point who uh a pastor who made the comment that he gets it because ministry would be a lot easier if he wasn't responsible for anyone else, right? It's like, it would be, no, I could work 70 hours a week for the church, but I got to take care of my wife and kids. Mm -hmm. And just, this might sound heartless, but there's a logistical truth to that, Mm -hmm. right? If the only person you have to keep alive and you have to really like personally care for is you, you have a lot of time to serve the church. And that's, that doesn't just apply to pastors, right? If you're, um, say you're, you're just, you have a regular job, right? You're an engineer or a bank teller or whatever. You work your 40 hours a week. If you go home and it's just you, you have a lot of freedom to, if your pastor calls you up and says, Hey, can you come set up for this thing? You probably can if there's a bible study to go to you can probably go if there's a bible study that needs to be led and you have that skill set you can probably do that if you have a family well you got to see do i have to do like do i have to take care of the kids that night um is is there something i i need to be doing for my wife and family because you're you're responsible for for serving them and and being self-sacrificial and ministering to them so on that level i get what paul's saying here there's some truth to that. Um, I was not granted this gift that he was given. That's for sure. <laughs> I'm not necessarily upset about that. Um, I mean, the, everything that you just kind of detailed is the exact, like, um, Catholic rationale behind why they still uphold uh, their clergy celibacy. It, they acknowledge it's not necessarily a biblical thing. It's not like Jesus commanded my 
my priests and pastors need to be celibate. In fact, Paul writes um, that they ought to be husbands with of of one wife, uh, not as a like you have to be married, but like that's your limit. Yeah, um, which is in in First Timothy for anyone who's following along. Yeah, uh, and so like Paul fully expected many pastors to be married. And yet the Catholic church recognizes if you send one unmarried guy into a congregation, he's got a lot more time to serve the people in his congregation than he would if he is married. But you also see how that plays out in negative ways too. Um, and Paul's other observations about celibacy ring true in things that we see in, uh, in churches across the, the world, across the country, um, unmarried pastors and yeah, inappropriate so I relationships. Like, uh, notes, I think on singleness in the church that are worth saying that should be evident at this point singleness mm -hmm. is not a bad thing mm -hmm. it's something that paul is kind of uplifting here mm -hmm. and it was what enabled him to do the kinds of things that he did because he didn't have the, the the kinds of family obligations that others had so as a church we need to keep that in mind mm -hmm. because there are a lot of places where uh singleness is is looked down on as less mm -hmm. and it's not mm -hmm. and a couple really easy ways to to live this out stop asking people when they're going to get married mm -hmm. especially if they're single mm -hmm. like if they have not expressed any interest don't try to be like setting them up and and doing all that nonsense or or treating single people as if they were not adults until they get married. Mm -hmm. um, not going to name it, certainly not going to name any names, but I know several people who are married who are, they are children. <laughs> they are not mature people. And I know single people who are very mature, who who understand how the world works, who who have their life for the most part together i mean as as together as anyone has it so like for anyone to use marriage as like a measuring stick for maturity i'm like i, I don't buy that at all i know too many immature married people for that um so stop treating single people like they have a disease that needs to be cured <laughs> unless of course you're a doctor and they actually have a disease that needs to be cured then keep treating them as such uh please yeah that's important yeah um, <laughs> so yeah that's marriage is is complete and total mm -hmm. this is not a bad thing that's what we've covered so far i think one other note on singleness before we scoot on um i think it's important that as a church we acknowledge that there is a place for single people um I feel like there's so many like 
programs and ministries and whatever you want to call it that are uh, floating around not just Josh and I's church body, but the church at large for marriage, towards marriage. Um, some of my old folks will talk about the uh, the groups that their church has had to try and um, help set them up, <laughs> basically. Um, like... We need to be willing and prepared to treat everybody with the same level of respect and and dignity, no matter what their their stage of life is, um, and yet somehow we treat singleness sometimes as as much of a pariah as like a drug addict. Um, that we got to fix that, you know, like. You can't you can't be on that stuff anymore. What singleness? Yeah, no, you can't you can't be on that anymore, right? Um, and I think that drives a lot of single people away. And I think that's why we see, at least in part, um, a drop off of that demographic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially in in younger people, because like once you're single and old there's not necessarily the expectation that you're going to go get married and have kids when you're single and young, like I've genuinely heard comments, not at my current church, but um, at a previous church that I won't reference as to where uh, about a woman's clock ticking. Right. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. Anyone out there, don't don't do that. <laughs> Singleness is not an not an issue. It's it's a gift to the church that we ought to use and, and lift up, uh, just as we lift up and use other gifts that God has given His church. Um. Okay, I'm off my off my pulpit. You're off your pulpit. Yeah. At least for now. Yeah. So if you're not single and you're not in the kind of uh, committed, loving, sacrificial relationship that uh, we're commanded, we are ultimately running into problems, aren't we, Josh? Yes. Yeah. And uh, those problems are many. <laughs> um, and... I want to start with a bit of a disclaimer here. Um, because sin exists in the world. And we don't want this to be taken as you shouldn't do anything about abuse. Yeah. Um, within scripture, there seem to be two uh cited reasons for divorce unfaithfulness and neglect um unfaithfulness is pretty straightforward you commit adultery and you are unrepentant for it your spouse has grounds for divorce um uh, neglect i think is a little bit harder to define and 
to me, it is the times at which we take that relationship that Josh described at the beginning of our podcast, where we are no longer like our our bodies, ourselves are no longer uh, our own, but they are tools to serve our spouse. When that understanding becomes so warped that the parties are doing none of that, um, you start to see some of those grounds. And abuse certainly becomes a, a part of that. Um, somebody walking out and, and disappearing on a relationship becomes part of that. Um, I had another example off the top of my head, but I can't remember what it was now. Um, but there are there are other grounds for divorce within scripture above and beyond unfaithfulness. But it is when you take that that definition of the marriage relationship and really just destroy it. Um, but not every issue in a, in a marriage rises to that level. And Paul starts to address some of those things in this text um, much more than he does divorce. So, Josh, I don't know about you, but like when I was growing up, the, uh, the common sense, uh, not common sense, but like the common wisdom that I was given was uh, you shouldn't be unequally yoked with a woman who isn't Christian. And yet, Paul seems to go against that here. I think what Paul is doing here is is a balanced approach to that kind of idea mm -hmm. because there are two sides of this mm -hmm. that I think are, are two different realities that play out. If there is a marriage between someone who is in the faith and someone who is not on the one side, there is uh, there is a possibility that there is a witness there, right? That if you are, if you marry someone and you are, you are incredibly faithful and, and, to them, yes, but also to to your faith, you you live by the faith that you profess. Um, that they're brought in, and they and they come to know the gospel because of you, and and that's kind of one end of the spectrum. But the other end is that there's this possibility that they reject that wholesale. And what Paul is saying, like, there's this great opportunity for a witness, but you also have to, he's saying you have to recognize that, like, if they divorce you because they have no qualms about divorce, like, he's, he's providing some grace for that and some room for that. Um, so I think there, there's a balance here. And it can work and it can also not work. I mm -hmm. think there are some hurdles that you you have to be prepared to deal with. 
in that if you're a Christian, your fundamental outlook toward life is profoundly impacted by your faith. Definitely. How you treat other people, how you look at other people, how you act, how you think, how you speak. All of this be impacted by your faith. Okay? So if you marry someone who doesn't have those same values, then they're going to want to make decisions based on another set of values. So there is that reality. Um, and sort of, this is kind of a, I don't have, I don't have precise statistics because it's been a long time since I've looked this up. Um, but just kind of in the interest of full disclosure, uh, gentlemen who are listening to this, if you are a driving force in your relationships, that church is important, that faith is important, right? If you are bringing your girlfriend or your fiance or your wife to church and you're saying, e even if they're a non-believer, if, if they're a non-believer, the approach is, listen, can you give me an hour a week? Mm -hmm. Can you make this sacrifice for me an hour a week? And you are, you are saying, this is really important to me. I think this faith is, is important. It is a priority. If you young men listening to this are driving that, the chances of your family persisting in the faith is something like 94%. It's insanely high. When, when men in relationships take that priority and, and act on it in a serious way. Uh, young ladies, or whatever age you are, I guess, if you're looking for a relationship, keep that in mind. Because if you are if you are married to a guy who it's not a priority, that's gonna be a struggle you have to deal with. And the number, if, if the woman in a relationship is the driving force to connect with faith, the number is somewhere in the 40s or 50s, that the family will persist in the faith. And if the kid is the driving force, it's like 5% that persist in the faith after a certain length of time. So um, so that's not to say that you that relationships like that can't work. It's just you have to recognize there are going to be some things that you have to deal with and probably some things that you have to deal with on a fairly consistent basis. Because this isn't like your faith isn't just, oh, it's despite what I said earlier of just asking for an hour a week, it's not just an hour a week. It impacts everything, how you work, how you play, what you watch, what, like, it really touches on everything, which means you're going to have to deal with it everywhere if there's, if there's this fundamental difference. So, like I said, they can work, and I think that's what Paul's saying is they can be a force for good, but you also have to be prepared for some other possibilities. And that's, mm -hmm. that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, listen, if, if your spouse is, a not, is not a believer and they're deciding to go this route, you can't really stop that. Especially today, you can't really stop them. So he's, he's demonstrating grace for that kind of situation, I think. There's my soapbox. I mean, that's a, it's a decent soapbox to get on. Yeah, it's one. Reason, it's one of reason, my more justifiable ones. Reasonably sturdy. Uh, I think a couple of things that that came to mind. Um, one, it's also kind of important for us to look at the context of what Paul's doing here, because he's talking to a lot of people who are converting, right? 
So there are a lot of there are probably a lot of relationships in these communities where one or like both parties were not Christian. One party became Christian during the course of the relationship. And it's going to utterly change the relationship, right? Um, and I think that's a little different than getting into a, a relationship in the first place, right? If you have the option, if you are a single person who wants to be in a relationship, I think having the ability and reserving the right to be picky and, and finding somebody who is faithful is, is a good option. Um, but if you are in a relationship where neither one of you is in the faith and one of you comes into the faith, well, you're married already. You didn't necessarily pick that. Uh, how do you roll from there? And I think that's more where Paul is really trying to address this issue. Um, but then also, I think one of the things that, that kind of rattling around the old noggin a little bit um, just around the idea that you need to know how that person feels about you and this change in your life before you do anything, right? Because if you, without really thinking about it, without considering your actions, just wholesale uh, cut somebody off because you're Christian and they're not. You may have been witnessing them in some way, shape or form, and now you've destroyed that relationship. Yeah, well, and I think here Paul is more talking. If like on the flip side, right, if you're. Yeah, he's I, I don't think he's talking so much. He, this isn't a. a a permission slip to divorce your wife or your husband if they don't believe the same things you do. That isn't what this is, right? Mm -hmm. This is a, if someone's divorcing you because they don't believe the same things you do, mm -hmm. like there's grace for you. Yeah. And I think it's, it's also, to me, there's, there's almost an image of like, even if that does happen, show respect to the fact that you were in a marriage relationship, right? Because he's telling the people not to get remarried unless it's like, unless they're so um, um, tempted, we'll say, that they can't help themselves, right? Right. Um, so to me, it's almost like Paul's calling them to do it only in extreme circumstances and if they do they ought to mourn the loss of that relationship and honor that relationship even if their partner is not going to yes 
So, uh, I, I mean, I think we're, for the, the depth we were shooting for on this episode, I think we're ready for takeaways, if that's... I think so, too. Yeah. Um, and, again, because you can't tell us what to do, this is our show, we do what we want. I'm, I'm actually going to, I'm going to do three takeaways, because we had kind oh, of... Boy. They're sure. I will attempt to summarize. That's what I'll make. Takeaway one: If you're in a relationship, live self-sacrificially for the other person. Mm -hmm. Takeaway two: It is okay to be single. Don't treat single people like it's some sort of disease. (laughs) And takeaway three: Relationships between believers and non-believers can work. And cannot work. You just got to be aware of the pitfalls that that can potentially come with them. There are my three takeaways. All right. I'll summarize that. That wasn't so bad. No, I'll summarize that with one. Um, the marriage relationship is one that has uh, s- strong significance both symbolically and in terms of um, what it means we're called into. And so we ought to honor that in all of its forms, uh, just as Christ honors his church and lays himself down for it. Um, And if that means you aren't ready for that commitment, we're still going to love you. If that means that you're in a commitment uh, and in a committed and loving marriage where things aren't going perfectly, we still want to lift you up and support you in that. And if you are in a, a loving marriage that's going well, awesome. We're glad you're blessed by that. We want to keep keep seeing that happen. Yeah, so uh, we, we've gotten in this habit of saying, like, if you know someone who needs this, send it to them. I would encourage you, uh, if you're listening to this and you have young men or women in your life who are contemplating relationships and they're thinking about this kind of stuff, this might be at very least something that will start good conversations with them. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead and send it to them. Tell them they got to put up with the – I recently had a, a young person, uh, I was visiting my home congregation, uh, or my parents' church, and he said, I've been listening to your podcast, it's great, except for your theme song, and I'm like, yeah, that's kind of exactly what we were going for, so uh, <laughs> I do have to suffer through the theme song, but uh, go ahead and send this podcast, and, and like and subscribe to this podcast, let us know that what are what we're doing is is worthwhile to you you can do that on any of your favorite podcasting platforms unless you have a really weird one we are on spotify pandora apple Podcasts, google podcasts iHeartRadio, and TuneIn fm podbean and a couple other dinky little ones but don't like pick if you haven't already pick one of those and just stick with it um we appreciate your subscription to those uh and you passing along this podcast. We also have a Facebook page. Use it if you want. We don't really care. It's mostly there. So if you don't know us personally and you want to get in touch with us, you can. Um, 
if you have questions, comments, concerns, reach out to us, please. Uh, if you have a topic you want us to cover, if you have a guest you want us to have on, uh, if you want to be a guest, reach out to us, let us know. We'd be happy to have you on. And uh, yes. And if you need a pastor in Southern California, Edgewater Lutheran Church, we're here for you. Uh, you can go to edgewaterlutheran.org and figure out whatever you need to know about how to get connected with us. And if you're in Lake Orion, Michigan, check out Good Shepherd, Benjamin Olschlager. He's a great pastor. He's got a magnificent beard. There you go. I think that's all I got. That's all the shameless plugs for today. All right. Brothers and sisters, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.